band Mike and the Mechanics released a song called The Living Years. It's about a man and his dad who didn't get along. There were things that were never resolved, so much that was left unsaid. The man writes letters to his dad only to end up crumpling them up and not sending them. And the song's really about the regret of not sorting things out with his dad before he died, not being reconciled to him in the living years. The last couple of verses go like this. So we open up a quarrel between the present and the past. We only sacrifice the future. It's the bitterness that lasts. I wasn't there that morning when my father passed away. I didn't get to tell him all the things I had to say. I'm sure I heard his echo in my baby's newborn tears. I just wish I could have told him in the living years. The pain of unresolved differences. It's all too common, isn't it? We all know that restored relationships, forgiving and being forgiven, it's wonderful. Forgiveness is great if you can get it. It's great between people. And it's even better between God and people. Imagine it. All your faults, all your darkest secrets, all the things that have deeply offended God, washed clean by God. God's forgiveness, it's like food and water, isn't it? We all need it. And Jesus came bringing it. And because it's God's forgiveness that he brought, he totally changes the way that we relate to everyone. To be forgiven by God is obviously going to change the way that we relate to God. But it also changes the way we relate to ourselves and to those around us. God's forgiveness is good. And it's life-changing. Now, there's three episodes in the little passage that we're looking at this morning, and each episode builds on the one before it. It'd be good to keep that in mind, that as we read along in Luke, Jesus and his forgiveness is just going to get clearer and clearer. So let's have a look. First person that Jesus meets, it's a leper. But the leper doesn't ask Jesus to heal him. He begs to be made clean. There's something more than just a healing going on here. There's cleansing. Verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus made him clean. But what's the big deal? So what? What is this being clean? What's so important about it? Well, it's because in Old Testament Israel, there are lots and lots of ways that symbolized that you weren't acceptable to God. There were lots of ways of being made unclean. And one of them was leprosy. Now, being unclean meant you couldn't approach God in the temple. You were unfit for his presence. And being unclean meant that you couldn't live amongst God's people. If you touched someone else, then they would become unclean. So you had to live away from everyone. Being an unclean leper means you're cut off from God and you're cut off from people. But Jesus makes him clean again. By taking away his leprosy, Jesus restored the man to people and to God. He told the leper to go to the priest. He can see people again. And he told him to make sacrifices. He can approach God again. Verse 14. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. 
And I'm sure you can imagine, there goes one very happy Israelite, restored to people and to God, free to go into the temple again. He's clean. And that's what Luke wants us to see about Jesus in this little episode. He's willing to make people clean. But in the next episode, we're shown that Jesus can do more. Not only can Jesus make people clean on the outside, religiously and socially clean, Jesus can make people clean on the inside, personally and spiritually clean, cleansed from sin. Things can get even better than what they were for the leper. Jesus is able to cleanse people from sin. Jesus is in a house and he's teaching the people. It's crowded, literally standing room only. And then all of a sudden, the tiling in the roof starts to come apart and a man is lowered down through the hole in the roof. Now, it's obvious that the man is paralyzed and Jesus knows that. But instead of healing the paralyzed man, like he's healed so many people before, instead of giving this man the taste of full health, that is in God's kingdom. Instead of doing that, he gives this man the greatest taste of God's kingdom that he's given anyone yet in Luke's gospel. He says, your sins are forgiven. Verse 17. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now you can imagine what's going through the heads of everyone in that crowd, can't you? Is Jesus blind? Can't he see his legs? He's got some cool ideas, sure, but what on earth is he doing here? But of all that's going on in people's minds, we're let in on what the religious leaders were thinking. They'd come to check Jesus out and what they heard made them furious. Only God can forgive sins. He's not allowed to say that. He's blaspheming. Verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And instead of letting sleeping dogs lie, he comes out guns blazing. Like we saw last week, he backs up his words with actions. So, to show that he can say something you can't see, he says something that you can see. To show that he can announce the forgiveness of sins, which you can't see, he announces the healing of the paralytic which you can see. Verse 24. Jesus speaks, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home, praising God. Now the healing of the man's legs is astonishing, but don't lose sight of what it demonstrates about Jesus. He can forgive sins he's able to take the weight of sin and hurl it into oblivion he's able to clean the sin encrusted on people's hearts he's able to reach into our darkest moments and bring them into the light he is able to forgive sin but not only that not only is he able 
But the next episode shows us even more. Yes, Jesus is able to forgive sins, but the next thing we see is that it's the very thing he came to do. Jesus wants to forgive sin. The very reason he came from heaven and became a man, the very purpose in him coming to the world was to come for sinners. That's why he came. After declaring the forgiveness of sins for the paralytic, Jesus goes out and meets a tax collector. Now, in Jesus' day, Jewish tax collectors were despised. They were hated. The the taxes they collected from their fellow Jews were for the Romans. They were also notorious for collecting more than they needed to. So not only did they work for the enemy, they ripped off their fellow Jews as well. No wonder they were despised. And yet it's a tax collector that Jesus sees. It's a tax collector that Jesus seeks out. It's a tax collector that Jesus finds and calls him to join him. And this tax collector is thrilled. Verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. You see, for Levi, it's party time. For although he was a traitor and a cheat, Jesus called him to follow along. Levi knows he's not worthy of being associated with Jesus, but he's been called nonetheless and he's thrilled. But not everyone is. The religious leaders of the day were upset. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they wouldn't be caught dead hanging out with tax collectors. That was to associate with known sinners. That was to be in league with people who was, it was known that they paid little attention to the things of God. And if you're righteous, well, you don't associate with those people. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus' response is amazing. He shoves it right back in the face of the Pharisees. He tells them that these so-called sinners are the very people God's interested in. They're the very people he came for. Just like a doctor goes and visits sick people because he can fix them up. Like a vet goes and sees sick animals. Like a counsellor goes and sees Queensland Rugby League supporters. (laughs) Jesus came for sinners. Have a look, verse 31. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's sinners that are on Jesus' radar. It's sinners that are in his spotlight, because that's who he's come for. I've not come to call the righteous people who think they've got no problems, but I've come for sinners, people who know they need forgiving. Jesus came for sinners. He wants to forgive them. Now let's just take some stock of what we've seen so far. With the leper, we see that Jesus is willing to cleanse Israel's symbols of sin. With the paralytic, we see that Jesus is able to forgive sin. And with Levi, we see that Jesus wants to forgive sinners. That's who he came for. That's what Luke wants us to know about Jesus from this section of his gospel. Jesus wants to forgive sin. Jesus can restore people back to God. It was true for the leper, true for the paralytic, true for Levi. It can be true for us. It can be true for us as well. 
The forgiveness that Jesus brought, it's not limited to those that he happened to meet when he was walking around Palestine 2,000 years ago. He came bringing God's forgiveness for the nations. When we get to the end of Luke's book, we see Jesus deal not just with the sins of Israel, but the sins of the world. It's in his death and resurrection that Jesus takes the place of sinners from all nations. There he takes their punishment for them, dying in their place, jumping in as their substitute. In his death, Jesus took sin upon himself and dealt with it so that he can forgive it. In his death and resurrection, the darkness of sin and death is changed into the light of life. And it's for the world. In Luke chapter 24, after rising from the dead, the Lord Jesus explains why he had to. He tells his disciples that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. So the forgiveness of sins, it's now proclaimed to the world because Jesus has died and risen from the dead. For there he dealt with sin. And so all the nations, Gentile, Dubbo people like us, are called on to repent and be forgiven of our sins. When Jesus says he came to call sinners, he meant it. He stopped at nothing to win their forgiveness. And that's wonderful news, isn't it? Because we're all sinners. We all need forgiveness. And the Lord Jesus is willing to take the weight of our sin and throw it away. He's able to clean the sin encrusted onto your heart. He came to reach into your darkest moments and bring them into light. Brothers and sisters, Christ's forgiveness is worth cherishing. It's like the jug of water given to that man wandering around in the desert. It's like the rescue rope thrown to the man drowning in the ocean. Christ's forgiveness, well, it's beyond price. He brings you back to God. No wonder that the paralytic went home praising God. No wonder the tax collector threw a party. Our Lord is worthy of praise, isn't he? He's worthy of thanksgiving. Our Lord is worth celebrating. We should rejoice in God. We should cherish his forgiveness. And as we do, it's going to change the way that we relate to everyone. God's forgiveness is life-changing. For starters, God's forgiveness is going to change the way that we approach God himself. It changes the way that we relate to him. Because we no longer try and impress God. We no longer try and make up for all the bad things we do by trying to do more good things. We're no longer trapped in the futility of trying to make God happy with us. He's forgiven us, wiped us clean. We approach God because he allows us to come. He calls us to come. He demands that we come into his awesome presence. We are to boldly approach the throne of God because his throne is a throne of grace, a throne of mercy, a throne of forgiveness. We're free to approach God because of what he has done for us in Christ. God's forgiveness changes how we relate to God. And it also changes the way in which we should think about ourselves. Having a low self-esteem or an inferiority complex, it's common. 
thinking that nobody really cares about you and, well, no one's really got a reason to care about you, thinking that we're nobodies, considering yourself to be worthless. But look to God's forgiveness of your sins. Look at what he has done for you. Is it worthless, really, to be a forgiven child of God? Is it worthless to be set free from sin so that we can truly serve God? Is it worthless that you've been made into one of God's very people, belonging to the Creator Himself? Now, I'm not saying we deserve any of it. We're unworthy, but we're not worthless. There's a big difference. God's forgiveness changes the way we think about ourselves. And it changes the way we approach others as well. For in admitting my sin, I'm admitting really that everyone needs forgiveness because we're all the same. No one's perfect. And so we live expecting people to hurt us. Now, I'm not saying it's nice. It's never nice when it happens. But when somebody hurts us, we don't react as if they've done something I've never done. We don't pretend that we've never done anything wrong. As I look on the sin of others, surely there I see my own sin, don't I? I'm just as much in need of God's forgiveness as anyone else. And as someone who does enjoy God's forgiveness, I'm to be ready and willing to forgive those who sin against me. After all, God's forgiven me of so much more. And when we're the offender, when we're the one that has wronged another, well, knowing God's forgiveness means that we don't pretend that our sin doesn't exist. We've admitted it to God, and we can admit it to one another. And amongst God's people, there's to be a spirit of forgiveness, a willingness to forgive each other, for God has forgiven us. God's forgiveness is like a spring of life-giving water that cannot help but spill out from everyone who drinks from it. As God has forgiven us, well, we're to forgive one another. God's forgiveness changes the way in which we relate to one another. For God's forgiveness is wonderful, isn't it? God's forgiveness is to be cherished, to have been rescued from sin, to have been set free, wiped clean, brought into the light, to know of God's open arms that welcome sinners in. Well, the leper couldn't help telling others about it. The paralytic went home praising God. Levi threw a party. What are you going to do? Well, just for starters, and let's not stop here, but just for starters, let's be like the paralytic. Let's go home praising God. Let's pray.